Upworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry. everybody, it's Upworthy Weekly, and I'm Todd Perry, a staff writer here at Upworthy. And with me is the great Allison Rosen. She's the host of the super popular podcast, Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. And Childish with her co-host, not Star, just a guy that's the, just a warm body named Greg Fitzsimmons. <laughs> Uh, you've also heard her on the Adam Carolla Show, which she co-hosted for four years, and seen her on Comedy Central's At Midnight. So on the show today, we're going to review some of Upworthy's most popular and engaging so- uh, engaging stories for the week of November 8th through the 12th. And uh, we're doing a whole bunch of stories on relationships this week, I think. Speaking of relationships, I feel like now that you have incorporated my note about Greg Fitzsimmons being my co-host on Childish, not starring as you somehow said last week, I feel like you and I are in a good place. Hello, Todd. (laughs) I'm back in the good place now. (laughs) I'm not in the bad place. No. Okay. You're not in outer darkness, which is a reference to Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, and I'm sorry that I had to make that reference, but I had to. I was going for the show The Good Place, which was way more of a literal thing, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. That's a real, you're, you're, you're a real elite, educated kind of person, whereas I'm more of like a woman of the people. So, Todd, it is one thing to start a new habit, but it's quite another to stick with a new habit. Well, a young person on TikTok found a unique hack for starting and sticking with new routines. And this is from a story that ran on Wednesday by Heather Wake with the headline, Want to Really Establish a Health Routine? Do It Ironically. In the piece, uh, Heather Wake talks about a TikTok video where a woman says, I am about to F around, and yes, I changed that language. I am about to F around and start doing like really healthy habits ironically because I think that's the only way I am going to do them. So her faux regimen would include waking up at 7 a.m. every day ironically and going on a walk each morning ironically. In the video, Daniela Pires explains her logic that approaching things with this kind of humor would actually make it fun for her. Then eventually, she says, that's just going to be my routine. Uh, and you know what? Apparently, she's onto something because there's a book called Atomic Habits, and it's by human behavior expert James Clear. By the way, I have this book on audiobook, uh, and uh, I've listened to some of it, but I lack the Atomic Habits to make me listen to the whole thing. But anyway, in the yeah. book, he says that for, for a habit to become permanent, you have to make it satisfying. So what gets immediately rewarded gets repeated. And in the case of Pyrrhus, making things campy adds silliness, humor, and joy. And that is the like positive reinforcement reward. And, and fast forward two weeks, and she's still doing her new routine. Uh, she says, it's been two weeks, and I've been on a walk every single day. I get up at 7.30 a.m. every single day, and I am someone who sucks at having a routine. Uh, this is working for me. I think I fixed myself. And then in an interview with Mashable, she says that doing things in irony is, quote, fake it till you make it, but repackaged for Gen Z. Mm. Well, yeah, she's saying Gen Z because I think Gen X, like our entire existence was was steeped in irony. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think oh, I yeah. did anything sincere till I was about 37. I was afraid to be seen as sincere. I mean, yes. I don't want to be a goober. Yes. What was it? There's like a pavement lyric talking about Gen X, which is like, you know, <laughs> I never want to be caught taking myself too seriously. And I, yeah. I feel the same way. And uh, well, I remember like 
when when irony was at its peak, maybe in 1994, I remember mm-hmm. having like a Saturday Night Fever shirt with like John Travolta, you know, and it was like I wore it ironically, but some of the kids weren't quite hip to that at my school yet. They're like, "Do you like that movie? Is that you know?" And it's it's like, ah, oh, you don't get it, man, you know. And but right. then it came to the point where then I really started loving disco music and just actually. Now we'll rock out to the Bee Gees all the time, uh, whenever I feel like it. So you know, well, it's- that's kind of to this to to her point. You start something ironically, and then eventually it just becomes you. Like I know that I, I say the word neat, like oh that's neat. Like I think your disco shirt that's neat. And I started saying it ironically, like wouldn't it be silly if I use this word? And now I just use it. <laughs> it's peachy keen, <laughs> Allison. Yeah, <laughs> groovy. You know, I, I I agree with you. I don't know if you feel this way about exercising, but I have the I I can't have anybody look at me when I exercise. Mm-hmm. Like my wife will be like, "Oh, Todd, we should go to the gym together," or you know what, I'm gonna do some exercises. You should do them with me. And I'm like, no, I don't want anybody to see me like sweating and looking like I'm not in control of myself and looking like I'm actually vain. Because obviously I'm vain on some level, but I never want to seem like I'm like workout vain. So I, I work out alone. I wouldn't like ever want to like go to the gym with a buddy. That would be like the most awkward thing ever. I think you should try what Danielle Pierce is recommending, the woman in the video, and you should do all of this ironically. Which I, think, I guess would just mean like wristbands and um, silliness. If you saw the exact outfit that I wore to work out with Richard Simmons that we talked about on last show. Oh, yes. It was exactly that. Like the mesh shirt. I looked all 80s. That was my ironic workout. And you know what? I sweat. I sweat to the oldies like nothing that day. So that you invented this. I did the ironic workout. They're cribbing from you. You invented the ironic workout. But I don't know if anybody at the local Planet Fitness in Long Beach is going <laughs> to really be too stoked to see me in my yellow, you know, short shorts coming in like, hey, everybody, how's it going? I don't no, know. You don't I- do it for them. You do it for you. Todd does it for Todd Perry. That's right. So a big hit story that we had this week was uh, uh, written. It was written by me. Sorry. Not to seem vain, but... um, Yeah, yeah, you don't want to seem vain. (laughs) Okay. Not at all. Uh, (laughs) I'm just recording myself talking and hoping hoping that tens of thousands of people listen. Uh, And also, you selected this story by yourself. Yes, yes. Uh, Emily Ratajkowski explains why women are obsessed with Pete Davidson. Now, the reason I picked this was because the other day, uh, I saw a tweet by one Allison Rosen... Uh, where she said, what power does Pete Davidson have? I feel like if I'm not careful, I'll be dating him. We all will. And then she responded with, I feel similarly about pickleball. Everyone is into pickleball. I've never played pickleball. I only started hearing about pickleball at the beginning of the pandemic because there were all sorts of rules about like, but but pickleball is still allowed. And then um, Brene Brown talked about being obsessed with pickleball. Pickleball is the Pete Davidson of sports. I don't get in that. I don't get it. Okay. Uh, So. Well, let me see here what, what, what Emily Ratajkowski has okay. to say about Pete Davidson, and then you can give yeah. your opinion, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I feel. Okay. Spoiler alert, he's sexy. Uh, <laughs> P. 
Pete Davidson, 27, has earned the reputation as one of Hollywood's most prolific ladies' men for dating some of the most beautiful A-list women over the past three years. And I feel like I should read this with old-timey voice. You know? Ooh, let's hear it. However, <laughs> there are a lot of people out there who don't understand the Saturday Night Live star's appeal. I kind of lost it there. David is tattooed. Davidson is tattooed from head to toe. He suffers from Crohn's disease and has done multiple stints in rehab. Describes himself as looking like a crack baby and only recently moved out of his mother's basement on Staten Island. But he's been with some of the most popular. But he's been one of the most popular cast members on SNL for the past seven years and co-wrote and starred in the critically acclaimed The King of Staten Island. So here's. Some of his uh, some of the some of the women he's dated, some of his parents. What I would say, yes. yes, Ariana Grande, Kate Beckinsale, Margaret Qualley, who was in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's yeah. one of the Manson family. Uh, Andy Ky- Andy uh, McDowell's daughter. Yes, Kaya Gerber, who was oh, no, it's Cindy Crawford's daughter. If you want, like, man, uh, Phoebe. She's in Bridgerton. Um, I don't know, but she sounds hot. Yeah, it was like it was some porno show that was on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> and finally, some woman named Kim Kardashian. Uh, unfamiliar, but again, she sounds hot. So, it, it, but so Emily Ratajkowski, also bit of a looker, uh, yeah. was on Late Night with Seth Meyers, and she defended the women that are out there dating this guy, and says, "Look, he's a professional." First of all, you should know that about Pete. Second of all, Pete's got height, and obviously women find him very attractive. I feel like only other men think that he isn't attractive. Guys are like, wow, what's that guy got? And I'm like, I mean, he's super charming. He's vulnerable. He's lovely. His fingernail polish is awesome. He looks good. (laughs) Further, he has a good relationship with his mom. We love it. It's hard to find guys like that. No, 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 no. She's all wrong. I feel like there are probably a lot of men hearing that who are like, I have a good relationship with my mom. I'm funny and I'm vulnerable. And Kim Kardashian and Ariana Grande are not trying to date me. Um, No, I think that probably in person, and I've never met him in person, but I bet in person he is crazy charming and... That would explain it because that is what closes the gap between like, I don't quite understand this. However, it seems like every woman who meets him gets a crush on him. Bill Clinton, supposedly in person, is that way as well. Just like you cannot you cannot resist the the charms of one Bill Clinton. Um, I. I was tr- so I was talking to my husband, the one who we decided is in danger of an anvil falling on him. He still it, doesn't know this. It can and happen at any ex- moment. It's real sort of Damocles. Um, and I was trying to explain what I suspect is going on with Pete Davidson, and I was like, I kind of understand that he's got that lost puppy dog thing. Oh, and Daniel couldn't understand at all why that's attractive, what that even means. And he was saying, can you give me, like, what's the equivalent for a woman? And I don't, it's not the same, but I was like, I don't know, like there's sort of like a a craziness that some women seem to have that men are drawn to that other women think like, but she's very unstable. What What is so attractive about that? 
we're, I feel like I feel like we're gonna get some notes on this. Burns. Yeah, and I was saying like you know Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's, like she's you know this kind of you know the manic pixie dream girl, right? Uh, yes, and I think that maybe Pete Davidson is that, but for dudes, you know. Yeah, uh, but I think that it's pretty obvious why the man is sexy because like he has that kind of bad boy thing going on. Yes, but he's vulnerable at the same time. It's not like he's a bad boy and an a hole. He's right. kind of like both. Like every great rock star kind of has that. Like Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. It's definitely yes. that way. John Lennon. They're wounded. Yeah, John Lennon. Like Johnny bat- Depp. Yeah, exactly. So he's got that in spades. And then also, like, um, he's funny, but, like, not clown funny. Mm-hmm. Like, women aren't like, Jim Carrey, he's so sexy, you know? <laughs> like, I think women, now right. tell me if I'm wrong. I think women like uh, men who are just kind of casually funny like that. Like, he's not trying yes. too hard. Like Right. Like, when he does bits on Weekend Update, it's just kind of like, hey, you know, hey, it's Pete Davidson. Hey, you know, I did this, you know. And that's mm-hmm. his his way. Right. It speaks to a confidence. Yes. I think you're right. And, and I but also what- think that if you took like a list of, say, 30 of the most, uh, you know, people did a poll, like 30 of the most attractive women in Hollywood. You look at you look at them and all of them, you look at just the picture, not knowing what they do. And you go, yeah, mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I think women have a different kind of way of evaluating men that it's not just like the basic mathematics of your face and your bone structure that a guy can have an allure without like looking completely hunky or whatever. A guy can have an allure because of his charm and his confidence that uh, women will really go for. It's not just looks. There's more that women are judging on than men, I think. Yes. But usually with someone in the public eye on screen, you can see it. And I am allowing for like in person, there's even another level of Pete Davidson, which Uh. is my way of saying like, I'm not, I, and I am a woman, but I'm not quite seeing it. Got it. Uh, But, but but you are. So I, I, I'm feeling it. I, uh, I was, (laughs) he's just kind of that new version of something we've seen many other times. It's just, we're distracted by the crazy, uh, like Senna's helper hairdo and like (laughs) the black nail polish and like the 50,000 tattoos. We think the tattoos might be extreme, but these days, like most rappers have seven or eight like face tattoos, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like I could work at Goldman Sachs with a neck tattoo right now and it wouldn't matter. Right. Right. I think you're right. Oh, can you explain pickleball to me then? I used to play it when I was little and it was like tennis, but you don't have to run as hard. One of the things people always say they're looking for in a romantic partner is a best friend to share their life with. Well, what if instead of doing life with a romantic partner who was also your best friend, you just jettisoned the romance part and made your best friend your life partner? This is from a story that ran on Monday by Heather Wake with the headline, These Platonic Life Partners Are Ready to Spend the Rest of Their Lives Together. And the story follows a woman named April Lexi Lee who wants to, quote, normalize platonic life. Life partners. In a TikTok video, she explains, quote, my best friend is my soulmate. She's the platonic love of my life. She's who I choose to do life with. After five years of long distance, we finally manifested a way for her to move to LA from Singapore to be with me. And then there's uh, an updated video of them reuniting and it is so sweet. They run into each other's arms for a long embrace. The caption reads, 
what a long-term, stable, healthy partnership can look like in 2021. Um, She notes that friends and family both called them crazy to be making such a big move, but says that they would not be questioned like this if they were lovers. Uh, The two have been friends for 11 years. They want to buy a house together, start a retirement fund together. They might even adopt a child together. In the comments of her videos, other platonic life partners share their stories. It's a thing, Todd. People are doing this. I think it's I think it's interesting. It's like I used to have a roommate named Oscar, and we lived together for like eight years, and at, we worked together at the same job. We went to the same college for part of that time, and played mm-hmm. in a band together. And we were pretty much as close as that. You know, it's just like I see you twenty four hours a day. But he was like my buddy, and and it was fine. Uh, but you know, after eight years, I was really happy when I moved out. Um, but that happens with many romantic relationships too. You're right. And you know what? I think eventually everybody becomes your plutonic life partner at a certain point. <laughs> this, is, like, this is, I I hesitated to say that because I don't want people to listen to this podcast and be like, what's she saying about her marriage? I don't want old Anvil face to hear that. <laughs> but yes, it, every, I think, yes, that it, it, the, every marriage has, uh, has moments that are where you are platonic life partners. Yeah, and you know, and let's say you know you have a little bit of wine once a month, and you know, go for it. You know, it's it's fine, but because you, you're allowed to do it with that person <laughs> legally, you're legally allowed to. You're biblically, biblically, yeah, totally. It's sanctioned. So uh, my my question is: so how did they get their other needs met in a way that makes their plutonic partner uh, happy? Like, can they like hook up with somebody on Tinder? Or like, ah, oh, I just met this dude at the gym and I'm bringing him home for the evening. You know, is, is your plutonic life partner going to be upset that you're having a sexual relationship with someone? It- I don't think so. Again, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I don't think so. My sense is this is sort of like a very uh, friendly business relationship that you're entering into. Like we love each other we get along we have the same values and we want to own a house together and we want to be together all the time but also we are i'm sure they're both free to date now do you disclose that on the first date when you know you're with this guy (laughs) and it's going really well you know you've made it all the way to dessert and then you go one thing i gotta tell you look you can come home with me well bob i got this roommate that's my plutonic life partner so here's the thing this is an NSA relationship, okay? No strings attached. Uh, but uh, you got to know that if if you come home with me and she's not down, then you got to go. Yeah. Because she probably also, has to approve. This can only go so far because I'm already spoken for. There are some people who would be very into that. I think the the the, the potential pitfall of the PLP, the platonic life partner, is what if one person falls in romantic love with someone outside of the partnership and then wants to be with them? But really, that could happen. That could also happen in a romantic relationship. Correct. Yeah, that's we, we're all open to that uh, right. problem eventually. Uh, you know, but that could just open the door to polyamory. Because sure. if you're already down with the platonic life partner thing, then it's not like you're making a great leap into the unknown by doing polyamory, right? Let me see. Let me follow. If you're already down with... Mm, sh- uh, 
uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, I think it's kind of a leap. It's it's a fairly big leap to then to go from being in a friendship with someone to then being in a, a an amorous relationship with multiple people. But the, I guess the thing is, there's a lot more sex going on in polyamory than it's like, okay, these two are plutonic. This guy yeah. over here, this woman over here, she's a sexual partner. Uh, you really got to die. Do you think you get confused? Yeah, like who 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 does it in this relationship again? I forgot. <laughs> or maybe you'd have, have to, you'd have to have special shirts. Yeah, <laughs> or shirts no shirts. Skins. Yeah. Or just a diagram on the uh, on the refrigerator for when I get right. drunk. You know. Right. Like or like when you're reading a novel, and you would know this because because according to the beginning of the show, you're the literary one. Yes. Um, when you're reading a novel with a lot of characters and you keep having to refer to the beginning when they have like a diagram that says how everyone's related to each other. I do love that. Oh yeah. Like here's the map of the inner yes. world of whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That is what you would need to have hanging on your refrigerator with a magnet. If you're in a polyamorous relationship, but with some of the people it's just platonic. Yeah. I was just gonna say my friend Izzy and I, we met in a mommy and me class and we're friends and our kids are friends and we have a plan that's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of a plan that when we're old and our husbands have kicked off as they will, uh, we're just going to like hang out together in rocking chairs in someone's garden. So we have our, our future PLP situation sorted out. So you're going to just be in some rando's garden. That's the part that No, really... it's one of one of ours. It it'll belong to one of us. Okay. I, mean, <laughs> I should have made that clear. Double income, <laughs> no men. Yeah. You know, hey, have a porch. You know, why not? <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal, here's our next story. Uh this is by Jisha Joseph. Shaquille O'Neal on teaching his kids how to earn their own way. I tell them all the time, we ain't rich. I'm rich. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal is preparing his six children for the real world by instilling in them the value of hard work and education. Speaking to financial advisor Rashad Bilal and educator Troy Millings, O'Neal said, my kids are older now. They're kind of upset with me. Well, not really upset, but they don't understand because I tell them all the time, we ain't rich. I'm rich. <laughs> So he says basically the, his kids got to have to get a degree and then the the men have to like make a business proposal for him to potentially invest in. But here's the thing. He says the girls, I'll take care of the girls, but the boys, they're not getting nothing. Is that a 2021 attitude by Shaq? No, it's definitely not. However, I feel okay with it. I go back and forth on this because if I were one of his kids, I would feel like one of the boys, I would think, dad, why are you being such a dick? <laughs> However, as an adult and a parent, I do think that I kind of think he should do it with all the kids. The kid in me feels like just take care of them. But the uh, the other part of me feels like, yeah, when you know, when kids don't have to work for anything, it does seem to on the one hand, it does give them a leg up in society. Obviously, we see that examples of that all over the place. But it it does kind of make them um, people that I wouldn't want to be friends with. Yeah, it becomes that person where you're out working, doing your thing and they're just sitting around doing nothing. Uh, yeah. These are the friends that text us at Tuesday. What's going on? I'm working. 
Like, what do you, yeah. you know, what do you think's right. happening? And I've seen a lot of people that were talented people not really do anything in life because mm-hmm. they just mooched, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it can actually be a hindrance growing up with, with wealth and uh, it can can be, a, it, it's, a, it's a leg up and it's also a hindrance in terms of your own development. Yeah, somebody once said to me, and I kind of took it to heart, that you give your kids enough so they can do something. Mm-hmm. Right. So not enough that they do nothing and not a, and not, don't just be like bootstraps, bootstraps to the point to where, you know, their life is a slog when it needn't be, you right. know, that you kind of find that balance. And I think also if you know who your kid is, I think some like if you have a kid that, you know, is industrious and isn't going to waste it or um, is going to do things in life regardless, he's not going to sit around and play Xbox all day, then then you can give him or her, uh, more. Um, but if you know your kid's lazy and needs to get their ass together, uh, then maybe you'd, you'd hold back on that. So I think there's a couple yeah. different things at play than just saying no or yes, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I think so too. Um, but I could imagine being the kid and feeling like, but why are, why are you making me do some job I hate just to get the, I mean, if this is the case, just to get the experience, like this is unnecessary. Could you please open the purse strings a little bit? (laughs) No, I think that's the point that Shaq's trying to make is if the kid doesn't seem the value in that, then clearly they don't, they didn't, they don't enjoy Shaq's largesse, you know, (laughs) and they don't deserve it. Evidently. No largesse, no largesse for you. It's going to be my my next band name, Shaq's Large S. I'm going to write that one down. Um, You know, okay, here's another thing. So he said that he's going to give money to the girls regardless because they're his girls. And I was thinking, is that sexist, which is you don't have any expectations of them or you don't care if they work or you don't want them to develop that much? Uh, you care more about your son's development because you want them to learn how to earn something. But you almost kind of soft prejudice of low expectations. Uh, I don't know. You finished the sentence for me. You know what I'm getting at. I think (laughs) what you're trying to say is he is suggesting that he wants to see a level of entrepreneurship and industriousness and a work ethic in the boys, and he doesn't place a value on the girls having that. Correct. And having, and having is that, that makes sexist. you sexist. Yeah, and having that makes you a more developed person and probably a right. happier person, right? Right. However, I would say, you know, all of his kids are growing up in the same environment, not environment in terms of what he's providing for them, but just like they're all a part of this world in the same world. So it's very likely that maybe one of the boys won't show entrepreneurship and one of the girls will be like, I've decided I want to start this company. You know, it, it, despite what he's saying, they're going to be who they're going to be probably. And, and it's very possible that one of the one or multiple of the girls will show that entrepreneurship. Yeah. Well, let's and then hope. they'll just have double the money. Yeah. <laughs> Evidently. I, this reminded me of a little thing that came up. I was on vacation over the summer. I was in Hawaii and there I was at a little tiny kids pool with some friends of ours. We made some friends on the vacation, me and my wife. And there was a, like a small slide, uh, for the kids to go down, and my mm-hmm. kids and the kids were all excited. They get off, the, you know, they get off the slide. They go back up, go back up. So they're running around and being aggressive. And my kid's five, and there's this one girl who was like seven. And at the top, near the top of the slide, he pushed her. Oh, like move out of the way! I'm getting on the thing. And so 
I immediately, I was like, you don't push anybody, especially girls. Mm. And the moment I said, especially girls, my wife and the gal who is our friend, you can see they visibly tensed up, right? <laughs> yeah. And my wife corrects me. She goes, especially anybody. Like, well, <laughs> you don't push anybody, especially anybody. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I could see the lady, the woman who was our friend that we just made, she kind of tensed up like, what did he say? Well, how do we deal with this? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, wait, is it sexist? To say don't hit, like saying hitting a boy is equal to hitting a girl? I don't think so. You know, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. You know, whoever's uh, out there listening to the show, but. If- Wait, the question is is it sexist to say, is it, I think, uh, I'll finish your sentence again, Todd. I think <laughs> the sentence you're, t- I, uh, I think you're trying to say, is it sexist to say don't hit girls? Correct. Don't hit anyone, but it's more important to not hit girls. Is that sexist? That's is that your question? Correct. I don't know if I would use I mean, I think a little bit. I think your heart's in the right place. I don't oh. know if I would use I know, I just I just passed judgment on you. Yeah. Um I, I don't know if I would say sexist though. I what I would say is, and I think this is what everyone who tensed up around you I, I think nowadays the the lesson is we don't put our hands on anyone we don't push anyone right I do think men who hit like when you when you're grown when you're big and you can do damage more damage laying your hands on someone who is not as strong as you is worse than Well, now I'm going to get letters. It's time to rate your week. Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world? Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com. So, Alice, on a scale of one through five, one being terrible, five being amazing, how was your week? I had a real solid four of a week. It was a pretty good week. Uh, and the the feedback to this podcast has been really nice and uh, and plentiful. And it, it, it made my week really fun. So thank you, everyone. Are you a better person than you were at the start of the week? I'm a slightly better person because I got the flu vaccine yesterday. So I'm, uh, I'm on my way to being protected against the flu. And also, I hadn't gotten it, and I didn't really feel like getting it. And then I just started thinking, I feel a little bit hypocritical because I'm very pro-COVID vaccine. So why am I dragging my heels on the flu vaccine? So at least now I'm a better person because I don't have to feel like I'm a little bit hypocritical. Does that... Can you still spread the flu? Like, does it work the same way as the COVID vaccine? I, I don't exactly know, but I think it's pr- fairly similar in that it makes it so that if you get the flu, you don't get a very severe case. That's my understanding. Got it. And are there microchips in it? I walked by the refrigerator, and the next thing I know, I was stuck to the refrigerator. So I don't know about microchips, but I'm definitely magnetized. How about spoons on the nose? Can you do that now? Oh, yeah. I got to be careful, in fact, because if I walk by spoons, the spoons will just climb onto my face. 
So that was my week. Todd, what about you? How was your week on a scale of one to five? I'm going to give it a two. Oh, boy. Uh, I, I have enjoyed the positive response to the show. I'll tell you that. But uh, I didn't really do too much this weekend. Person, this, this week personally. It was kind of a boring week. But I did get out of the house one night to go to the drive-in. I saw, what was it, um, Red Notice with Ryan Reynolds and The Rock and Gail Gadot. I haven't even... I haven't even heard of this movie. No, and I just like, there's four screens at the drive-in, so I just pick mm-hmm. like what's the most like palatable <laughs> of all of them. Like, I don't care. I'm just right. like, I'm out of the house. And uh, yeah, this one, it was like Ryan Reynolds doing the, hey, I'm funny, like fast talking thing. And it was just like, mm-hmm. no, that's just getting annoying at this point. You know? <laughs> so no, I, my week was kind of boring. So, but next week's going to be great. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, are you a better person? Uh, yes, uh, I, I will say this because I took a first step in making a project I've always wanted to do. So I'm doing a very large scale, long journalistic, historic podcast. It will not interfere with what we're doing here. I was going to say, I thought this was the project that you really wanted to launch. I'm sorry, miss. I have three three podcasts. <laughs> uh, yeah, but those started before this one. <sighs> Okay, well, I'm just I this this started when I was born. Okay, this is the, uh, the right. project of my life. So, and I took. But, the, wow, I guess this is just not the project of your life, boy. No, oh, boy, Todd. This this I love. Uh, you know, you I, I yeah, want. Yeah, I'm I'm not really feeling like you do. I want you to be my plutonic pod partner. Okay, um, the other thing is just me working by myself. So you know, don't. Don't right. No, it's the the project that started when you were born, the project of your life. Do go on. I'm not taking it personally. Well, congratulations. Thank you. What's it about? Or do you not want to say yet? I don't want to talk about it yet, but it's about a Los Angeles landmark that needs to be talked about. Um, is it Top Round, that roast beef place? Yes. How did you <laughs> oh, guess? Wow. Oh it's no! It's just a whole thing about roast beef. <laughs> it's, a, it's an entire thing, and it's just basically me reading the menu. We all find ourselves coping with grief in different ways, doing things to feel momentarily closer to the person we lost, even if we know it won't bring them back, sometimes even leaving them voicemails we know they'll never hear. This next story ran on Wednesday. It is by Heather Wake, and the headline is, Woman Finds Hundreds of Heartbreaking Voicemails on Her Phone from a Widow to Her Late Husband. So a woman was cleaning out her phone, deleting old messages, and found hundreds of voicemails from a stranger. Uh, the, the reason that she didn't see them before is she had blocked this number, so they went into like that folder from the blocked number list. Um, she details this in a TikTok video that now has more than 3 million views. The caption reads, All the voicemails consist of I miss you and I hope you're okay and long pauses in what sounds like soft crying. Seconds later, we discover the messages came from an older woman who lost her husband and that since 2020, yeah, it's very sad, this older woman has been calling his number, which is not his number anymore, to let him know she still misses him. Um, Apparently, she had consistently called this number multiple times a day and one of the voicemail 
clips play and we hear, it's just me, you've been on my mind, I'll catch you later, bye. In the comments, the woman who posted the video asked what she should do and the consensus is to let the woman have this, let her keep leaving these messages. Uh, and then other people started weighing in with their grief stories. One person commented, I'm still paying my dad's phone bill one and a half years later because I don't want anyone else to have it. Uh, someone else said, "I oh, this is so sad. I still text my husband. He's been gone two and a half years. Oh. We know it's not going anywhere, but we've lost the one person we tell everything, said another. Um, yeah, it's very, very sad. And yet given the, the three million views uh it's clear that this is like resonating with people a lot i know when the, you know times that i have have lost people um i i found myself still wanting to talk to them still wanting to write them letters yeah because it's such a, a such a, a a sudden feeling of like i'm still carrying around my half of our relationship what do i do with it so i think it's oh. pretty common to want to continue the conversation I actually had an epiphany. I know we're going we're going in a deep and sad direction, but no, make I had I had an epiphany, um, which is the love that you have for someone who's no longer there. The love doesn't have to go away. It just because they're not there, it just like moves into your heart and it exists in your heart, mm. and that felt very liberating for me when I realized like, oh, that's what I'll do with this feeling of I'm just like this jagged half of a relationship now walking around the earth. I'll just move it into my heart and it'll live there. I think that's a wonderful tribute to the people you lose because, I mean, they they probably would love to exist there now. You know, yeah. they probably if there was someone who loved you and was a good friend or relative or whatever, then they probably would take great solace. And if they knew before they passed that you would They'd be forever in your heart, you know? Right, yeah. Um, I had an experience like this. This, this kind of touched me because right before COVID, I had a friend that we were, we're kind of like football buddies. Like we met at a bar like watching Raider games, you know? <laughs> and he moved to Las Vegas. And um, so I hadn't seen him for about two years. And then we made plans to go to a game in, in LA. Uh, the Raiders were playing the Chargers at the small stadium they played at for a little bit before they built him a big new one. So... Uh, he was coming out on his motorcycle and he was staying the night at a friend's house. And then we we're supposed to meet up in the morning of the game and then go over, you know, grab a 12 pack and go tailgate. And the guy like was like 20 minutes late. I'm like, what happened? Well, he wound up, he passed away the night before. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so like. But he was only 20 minutes late. Right, right. Yeah. Then half ghost shows up. We we sell his ticket. He sits on their lap. It's like haunted mansion. No, yes. he no. So yeah, he didn't show up, and I was obviously like just so upset uh, that mm -hmm. I lost my friend. But then and then I and his friend that told me was like, well, maybe you can sell that ticket and um, put that towards a memorial. You know, and I said, f you. <laughs> my buddy you Oscar, callous bastard. My buddy Oscar's getting that ticket. We're going to the game. So we, I wound up going, and it was just so emotional sitting there. I'm like, Matt's supposed to be here, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I texted him during the game the things we would text each other. He would always jokingly say, slow the game down, slow. And then he, <laughs> and um, so I was texting him, slow the game down, or, you know, Aww. blah, 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 or just what I normally would, just because so it, felt, it felt right to me or whatever. So he had a memorial a couple months later, and... 
some family member, a family member reached out to me, his cousin, and she was like, oh, Todd, because I didn't, I had no idea who she was. She goes, Todd, you're the guy who was texting Matt during the game. And I'd forgot I did that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she thought it was really sweet or whatever, but I didn't know anybody was reading it. So it's, it's yeah. a good thing I didn't send nudes is what I'm saying. But Right. The, the stuff you normally would have sent him. Um, you know, you see this on, um, what do they call it? A digital memorial. Like on people's, the, the Facebook pages of people who have passed away. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, if you go to their Facebook page on anniversaries and birthdays and things, people will leave these really heartfelt messages. And then they know that it's not, you know, probably not being seen. But it's it still creates kind of a community. There's just that urge to continue the conversation. Um, can I ask what what happened to Matt? Do you know? Uh, he just had a heart attack. He was like 60 oh years gosh. old, and he had a heart attack the night right the night before the game. They found him the next morning. You know, passed away. So, but then the family gave me his ashes. So it's my job. I have to take the ashes to the new Raiders Stadium in Las Vegas and deposit them at the stadium. So oh, I was wow. at a game, and I actually I was with a buddy. Who was on time. Now anybody's late, I'm like, oh, they're probably dead. Of course, yeah. You get weird about that, you know? I'm like, yeah. Alice, in two minutes, she didn't send the the link, you know? Uh, probably, probably deceased. But, so I have, the, <laughs> I have the ashes. Anvil hit the wrong person. Oh, no, I should have kept more of a distance. Now this, when I heard, uh, this is another story that when I read it, I thought of you. It says, man hires woman to slap him every time he goes on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, a man has gone viral, and this is by Sithuraman S. A man has gone viral for hiring a woman to slap him every time he's on Facebook. Manish Sethi, a blogger from San Francisco, watched his productivity fall off during COVID and wanted to do something about it. He decided to get innovative and hired a woman to give him company, watch over him, and slap him every time he went on Facebook or Reddit. He was spending almost six hours a day on Reddit and Facebook and wanted to break from the habit. He monitored his productivity using an app and found that he was only 38% productive. In the viral video, Sethi can be seen working when a woman sitting beside him interrupts him. Manish, what are you doing? Asks Kara. Manish replies, nothing. Then, whammo! She gives him a big one right across the face. <laughs> but here's the, the bad part is, she hired her for $8 an hour. And I reacted to that too! What? This is definitely something that should cost he should be paying more than eight an hour i mean this is like a sex worker type activity i'm thinking yeah. you should be paying like 90 100 i mean usually when i pay a sex worker <laughs> i i pay him bitcoin so i don't really know what it's worth from week to week but you know he right. should have yeah should have paid her in bitcoin uh, quite a bit more yeah and a lot more than eight especially in san francisco come on manish maybe you got a bigger problem maybe you should be a little more productive so you can make a little more money so you're not screwing people. Right. I was shocked at how uh, how how affordable it is to hire someone to slap you. I need this. I have a social media phone addiction problem. Um, I mentioned last week I have a book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. I'm still, I haven't yet broken up with my phone, uh, but I'm slowly reading this book. But anyway, I need this program that tells you how productive you are because i feel like it would it would 
it would be like 2%. I'm like 2% productive. <laughs> it would shock you into it. Yeah, once, <laughs> exactly. Once Apple started doing that thing where it was like on Sunday, at least I know they do it for me. Um, here's how many hours a day you looked at your phone. Once yes. I saw that, then I was like, okay, I'm going to try to beat last week and try to get better about that. Um, and I, I, I really have. Which is which is good. How, uh, so, how many hours are are you on your phone now with your screen time? Report? I think my screen time is like two hours. Oh my god! Fifteen minutes a day. I'm uh, at like seven hours. <laughs> so oh, over seven was... hours. It's bad. I'm telling you. Do you do that in front it's... of your children? I have to. If I sneak off, if I use my phone, I make it so my kid can't see me because I don't want him to think. Like he already sees me drink all day, so I don't want him <laughs> to see me like looking at the phone as well. I feel like the phone's way worse than my Bud Light Platinum habit, but you know. So first couple years of their lives, I had a big, like, I don't want them to see me on my phone thing. But now the all bets are off. It's bad. Just sitting in there in your bra. Look at, you know. Well, I, like, I wear a shirt. Okay. And pants. I mean, I'm, I'm fully clothed. Cigarette. I just. <laughs> right. You're looking like Miss Hannigan. I, Yes, yes, Uh, yeah. We were we were just watching Annie, so uh, that's a very fresh reference for me, not for our listeners, but for me. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to Upworthy Weekly. Uh, Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google, uh, so that you don't miss next week's show. I'd like to thank Allison Rosen uh, for being such a gem once again and sitting here and uh, shooting the ass with me. Thank you. Always a good time. Upworthy Weekly was produced by Todd Perry. Follow Upworthy on all socials at Upworthy. Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen and Todd at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week, email us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com. I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week.